myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week, my guest is comedian and real estate agent, Brittany Goss. Brittany is an amazing person. She's a comedian here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She's had a lot of obstacles in her life. Uh, She is a cancer survivor. She's also a mother. And she also has regrouped from the tragic murder of her husband. Uh, We talk about All of that stuff in this episode, as well as her fear of claustrophobia. It's a really good conversation, a really fun episode. So let's get into this episode with Brittany Goss. We're here with my friend and fellow comedian, Brittany Goss. Brittany is a cancer survivor, as well as a comedian here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She has been sheltering in place because because of cancer, she is immune compromised, so she can't really venture out into the world. She just recently got her second vaccine as of this recording. So we're going to talk on this and discuss virtual comedy as well as her fear. Brittany, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I know that, you know, the pandemic has been pretty hard. Uh, in general for everybody, but there's been a lot of positives about it. So I'm actually doing really good. Can you name a couple of the positives? Yeah, I would say, you know, just basically having a break from everything that's been going on in general in life, because I tend to go pretty fast in everything that I do. And so just to, you know, sit back and you know, kind of evaluate everything and, you know, kind of look at things in my life that were adding stress and, you know, any toxic friendships that I may have had, that sort of thing, Um, you know, and just basically getting rid of them. So I've done that and it's, you know, it's relieved a lot of anxiety that I've had. So congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. So you are a cancer survivor. Can we talk a little about that? Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, Coming up April 15th, um, which was tax day 11 years ago, um, I was at 35 years old and died. God, I'm, I'm so old. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I was uh, 35 years old and diagnosed with breast cancer. And I never thought ever that I would, that that would even be something that I would ever have. Um, but I had found, I the reason why I found it was because I was having some pain And instead of ignoring the pain, like I normally would, I decided to go to my doctor and she, uh, you know, was able to feel this large lump in my breast. And so as it turns out, I had three tumors um, in the breast and ended up having a double mastectomy and went through six rounds of chemo um, and, and everything's all good still. So everything's clear um, now. And I'm actually going to be going for a checkup coming up in the next month. Um, But yeah, 11 years, it's really hard to believe. Uh, For anyone that's under 40 and diagnosed with breast cancer, it's usually pretty aggressive. And it's because there's only 5% of all breast cancers are in women under 40. Um, You know, for me, it was like an intermediate aggressiveness. So 
anyway, but yeah, I'm just very fortunate. Um, I've had a lot of friends that have passed on, you know, with breast cancer, uh, especially the younger um, friends. But uh, but yeah, just very grateful. Yes, I and you you mentioned a lot in your stand up as well as you're a very big advocate for it as well. Yes. And it's it's a very it, and maybe that's just your purpose is that you are here to help you know kind of raise awareness for that and to and to kind of be that I guess almost emotional support for other people you know that may end up you know going through that same process or procedures. Yes, you know it's interesting. Um, you know, when I was younger, my dad uh, used to encourage me, you know, to to do stand up comedy. And actually, per, before going through breast cancer, it was in 2008 was when I started writing. And then whenever I went through breast cancer, like all these jokes just started coming out of my head when I was going through it. And what I've learned is, is when I go through the tough times, that's when the like jokes really, really start to come. And, you know, that's how I dealt with it, it was through humor. But um, it's taken like quite a few experiences, painful experiences to push me into comedy. Um, but that's how, I, that's how it really, like when I went through that experience is what really started to, to push me in that direction. And then of course it took some other experiences as well, but that was the main one that got me there. <laughs> We're glad to have you. Thank you. I knew you from a mutual contact, Barry Whitewater, who yes. took, yeah, we all take, we've all taken a, a class, same class, the Dean Lewis comedy class here. And, but Barry usually goes back and helps like mentor and kind of watch the new crop and kind of kind of becomes a almost like a, a mentor on the at the open mics for those people that have taken Dean's class that maybe, you know, don't see their fellow Dean classmates or something like that. There's these are recognizable face for those newcomers. And so he I remember him mentioning you and that you were you really as aggressive as aggressive as the cancer was, you were aggressive about that in comedy as far as to talk about it on stage like you <laughs> Because people were like, man, that's, she's, she's from the go. And that's, to me, that was just meant, okay, you're passionate about it. And I also would understand, too, if I went through something that was something that anxiety-written. Because I'm sure during the treatments it was nerve-wracking and a constant worry to, to have that release and to say, I, this is something I've been through. Mm-hmm. And when things affect you that deeply, like, yeah, you're, it's going to be a, a point of focus going forward, you know, to, cause it's almost like a new lease on life in, in some certain aspects. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. And Barry's right. Like I did argue about it, um, <laughs> about whether or not I should talk about it. And, you know, and then finally they told me, you know what, you're right. And, you know, there are some people that may have a problem with it, but I will tell you this, there are people that come up to me time and time again. And they tell me, thank you so much. Um, my mother died of breast cancer when I was a kid and I haven't, you know, I've been angry about it my whole life. And this is the first time I've ever been able to laugh about it. And thank you for, um, you know, that relief that I needed. And, you know, I've had a lot of people come up and thank me for talking about it and, you know, and seeing the humorous side. And I know it's definitely a dark thing to talk about, um, but it's what I went through and yeah. that's how I dealt with it. Uh, was that, that's what got me through it. Um, because not only was I going through breast care, breast cancer at the time, I also went through, uh, my dad died like, uh, two weeks after my sixth round of chemo. And then I also lost a job. I also lost a stepsister, like all within an 18 month period of time. And it was very hard. Um, and the only thing, I mean, I could have like gone down this really dark path of depression, 
but I used humor to get me through and also getting out there and helping others, volunteering at a cancer center and helping other people going through cancer. I don't know. It's almost like a survival skill in some way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely a survival skill. And it's also, you know, putting something you're passionate about on the front burner that you can that you can speak to. It's something that you have an in-depth expertise with. And it's something that you like you you feel needs to be talked about, just like when you said Dean's class, I argue is that's how passionate you were about that is that you weren't willing to compromise Mm -hmm. on the subject matter because that's how important it was to you. Right. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about doing like speaking for them, like speaking engagements and things of that nature. But I think that would be a great Yes. Actually, I've been I've been speaking uh, for longer than I've been doing stand up comedy. So I actually started speaking about other subjects um, from other crazy experiences that I've had in life. And the breast cancer just added to it. What I started doing was putting comedy into the the speaking. And um, and then I, you know, ended up uh, because before I added the comedy, it was more inspirational. And then later added the comedy and then everybody coming up, kept coming up. And that was when I was getting validation. You need to do stand-up comedy. You need to do stand-up comedy. And so many people were coming up and telling me that. And just like my dad always had said. And um, so, and that's when, you know, again, like all this confirmation from people and encouragement is what led me down that path. Well, it, it, it was, it's probably the right path. And sometimes, you know, even though people want you to go down that path, there's also, as you know, with jokes, timing. And so sometimes your timing may be a little off. Something's maybe going on that you can't approach the stage like that, either financially, physically, or mentally. And mm-hmm. everything is done for a reason. And so I, right. I'm i always a fatist like that, that this is meant to happen and you shouldn't be mad about it. You can be mad about it for a little bit, but you just got to let it go. Mm-hmm. And so... You've now graduated. You're what now five, six years in the stand up? Yeah. So I'm now, um, I'm actually July. I'm going to hit my five years since I, it was five years in July um, when I first went into the scene, um, started taking classes with Dean. And um, I had spent some time before that, um, not necessarily performing, but uh, in the scene around, you know, kind of like observing. Um, but then, yeah, but it's five years coming up in July. Well, congratulations. That- Thank you. Thank you. It's a it's a fun mile. It's fun milestone to kind of look back and see where you were and how you've kind of what you've kind of grown into. Exactly. In comedy, you have this you always have a perception of what kind of comic you're going to be. And then you kind of make deals with the audience and looking in the mirror at who you are, what you can and can't get away with. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. And then you you find a real honesty. That's why this kind of this podcast is kind of it comes about. It's instead of doing about comedy, it's about fears. And so it comes from a place of honesty in a lot of these things. And it's just my comedy writing style put to a different medium rather than trying to find the joke. It's trying to mm-hmm. find, like as Dean says, the root emotional root cause of why I'm afraid of this. And so you have one of the classic fears. I like to call it because it's one that has been around for a while, like you know, that people talk about people now, like there's so many different fears, like modern fears of things, technology, pandemic. I mean, just so many new forces. This this one, I, 
I feel sometimes, but not that much because I was bullied a lot. And so I would seek shelter. And so can you tell, go ahead and tell us what your fear is. My fear, um, well, I have claustrophobia. So I have a fear of enclosed spaces or the feeling of being smothered, you know, like I have a fear of elevators and MRI machines and relationships, but the elevator, I would say is, you know, the elevator and MRI machines. Like I will never get an MRI machine unless I am completely conked out. Like um, I, I was in one when I was 14 and it was just a horrible experience. Um, so I, anytime I ever am ordered for MRI, I'm like, sorry, I can't do it. Not even a, a, a Valium or whatever is going to an Ativan or whatever is going to to do it for me. But uh, yeah, they would literally have to put me out to get me an MRI machine and then elevators too. And I go back and forth on elevators. So like I'll go through periods of time where I feel okay getting in an elevator, um, especially I will, I will not get into um, an elevator with a ton of people uh, in it. Um, I mean, I, I'll get in an elevator with like a few, um, but see the pandemic has been good for me with this fear because, you know, they want you to social distance. Yes. So for me, that is great. Um, you know, stay away from me, stay six feet away from me. But, you know, in an elevator, you know, you're not really not during the pandemic, you're not supposed to put that many people in there. Um, so, but I will do everything to avoid them because it's just, um, it's, it's too much for me to have to worry about it. So I'd rather just take the stairs and, you know, when it's so convenient you know, <laughs> to do it, and I know it's good for you to take mm -hmm. the stairs. Um, but for me, you know, uh, getting an elevator is a challenge, especially a crowded elevator. And but I do go through times where I get over it and I'm fine. And then like my worst fear came true. I was working at Capital One and I was on a crowded elevator and we had crazy hat day and everybody, you know, uh, went downstairs to, I think we were all getting cake. Um, and then we all got back upstairs and then we all got stuck on the elevator. So it was like one of my worst fears coming true. And oh, and it was, and I was trying so hard. When I say we were, it was crowded, like we were like boob to back, you know, yeah. like it, it, all with cakes and then all wearing these ridiculous hats. And then, um, you know, there was this much, like maybe two to three inches, uh, maybe like two inches, two inches of space where the door didn't completely shut. And I was trying not to freak out, like trying hard. And I go, like, I'm literally <laughs> trying to stay calm with this stupid hat. And there's even a picture of me, uh, you know, with this, but I'm like literally over there by that crack, like help, help, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway, they got us out and it was like maybe 15 or 20 minutes that we were in there. It wasn't that bad, but good God, it felt like hours to me. Um, and then since then, I did not get in the elevator. So I went from, you know, already over getting an elevator and then doing it all the time, you know, getting stuck in the elevator. And then it reverted me back to not going at all. So I think since that time, I've probably gotten in an elevator maybe four to five times. And this has been, ooh, I want to say five years ago or so, five to six years ago. All those steps, all those steps. Yeah. And then now you're taking the other steps <laughs> <laughs> right exactly I didn't care like I, I think I worked on the third floor yeah I worked on the third floor every day I was going up and down the stairs I did not care um I, I would carry 
Mm-hmm. Um, I would carry all this stuff with me. I, I didn't care. Um, I just, I would do everything to avoid the elevator. And not many people know this about me though. Like there's only a certain few people that know this. Um, another thing I have to do, like when I go do performances with uh, singing mm-hmm. and um, I have to, I always call or figure out a way to find out how we get down to the field. Um, I'm like, is it stairs? Is it an elevator? Like I try to plan. I'm so freaky about it. I try to plan it all out. And it's so nuts because, you know, I'll go out and sing the national anthem at the Rangers game. And I'm not scared of singing on the field. I'm scared of getting on the crowded elevator to get down to the field to sing. Um, and it, you know, it's every time I have to go through the process and I, you know, Anyway, it's, it's embarrassing, but uh, very few people know this about me. And it's uh, just one of those things that I struggle with, but I do what I can to manage it um, so that I just don't have to deal with that constant like anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. that comes with it. It's exhausting. So does it all stem from the MRI at 14? Like were you or were you a kind of not elevator fan when you were a kid? OK, so it actually comes from when I was a kid and I've tried to think, you know, figure out, um, you know, where this comes from. And uh, I was in, I lived in, you know, I grew up in Plano and I grew up in DeSoto, Glen, DeSoto, Texas. Um, I lived in Glen Heights. Um, when I was a kid, we were in a couple of tornadoes in DeSoto. And one of the ones I was in, was, I was in a daycare center. And I was one of the older kids at the time. I'm thinking I was around like five or six years old, maybe, maybe seven and the tornado came and it blew the roof off the daycare center. But when it came, they put all of the older kids on the floor first and they put us all in one room. And so I was on the bottom of the pile with all these kids on top of me. And I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I felt like I, I was struggling. I felt like I was going to die. And, and then, of course, scared to death because we're in this tornado. That was one. And then another situation that happened, um, I was swimming and some kid jumped on top of me and I couldn't get up to catch my breath in the water and he was holding me down and it was at the public swimming pool. And so those two incidences, I believe, are what led me to my claustrophobic fears that I have today. So does does that also include swimming now? Like I swim. Okay. I still swim. Um I grew up with, you know, pools in the backyard and such. And I still do swim, but I won't go underwater for very long. And I usually want somebody around me when I'm swimming. So I don't like to do it by myself. I, I want somebody to be out there with me or around me um, and I won't go underwater. But I used to like every day I was out swimming, you know, going underneath the water, seeing, you know, my brother and sisters, we would we would compete against each other to, you know, see who could hold their breath the longest, that sort of thing. But I just don't go underneath the water like I used to. Yeah, it always happens at a public pool that that that, yes. that someone dunks you and just holds you down is what I've learned. Right. <laughs> Right. And that's what happened. And I think that's what led to, you know, me having these claustrophobic feelings. But the MRI was definitely one of the things as well as a kid. Like, I won't ever go near it. You wanted to talk about that or you? (laughs) Yeah, it was just, you know, I was uh, 14 and, you know, having chronic headaches. And I remember, you know, being in the hospital and they sent me for an MRI and I didn't know what to expect. And when I was in there, I just I know they had to give me medicine at the end, um, but I just remember it being just a traumatic experience for myself. And, you know, I think my daughter had to have an MRI um, 
later, but she didn't have, she doesn't have that. Like I did, mm-hmm. you know, like I do. Um, she, you know, was able to get through it just fine. But for me, just, I don't know. Can't explain it. See, to me, it, it just, it all stems back to the daycare. Is yeah. That, Cause I feel it, it's that feeling of not being able to move. And I think that that's where it comes from. Or at least from what you're describing, it's literally you're helpless and you're feeling mm-hmm. the weight of something crushing you. And yeah, I, I totally, that, that would be terrifying at five or six years old to just, just be piled on, you know, with all these kids and you not, not knowing how long you're going to be there. If, you know, if you're still going to be there, if anybody's going to tell you to get up, you're just, you're quiet and obedient and not knowing. And you can tell like us the panic and probably the people at running the take daycare are panicked and trying to make sure everything's safe. And there's just, a, there's a lot of anxiety in that moment. Because mm-hmm. I'm afraid of snakes, and I, I still blame my mom. Is that as a kid, my mom was holding me, and she saw a snake, and that you know she was like a snake, and she's scared, and I feel it because it's one of those, it's one of those feelings where all of a sudden, like, oh my god, I'm scared, but I'm holding my child, so now my child feels scared. Mm-hmm. Like one of my friends, she has a daughter who's afraid of heights. And she was like, you know, I don't know where it comes from. And then she started telling me the story of they were, you know, snooping. They had this house for sale and they were snooping around. They were able to get in the back. And she said, as we're looking around, the real estate agent came through with another group. And so they're panicking, trying to get out of the house and they jump out of a window. Well, she's trying, she's got the baby with her and the dad jumps out first. So she's trying to frighteningly hand this child off so she can get out the window. And the baby, you know, started crying. And, you know, because if you think about it, to a baby, if you're just holding them at chest height, that's pretty high for them. And so all they see is they feel that fear and panic you have while they're being suspended in the air. Like, yeah, maybe that's where she got her fear of heights is you're holding her in a perception, you know, and she just doesn't feel comfortable. And there's a lot of anxiety in the air. And you're now you're, you're afraid of height. Right. Yeah. It's, it's weird how it, you know, little, those things that you happen, how it, it basically molds you into where you are today. And I even went through a period of time where I was, you know, the claustrophobia situation, like even on airplanes, like I didn't want to fly, um, but I did get over that. And I feel much better doing that now. And uh, I even went on, you know, flights by myself and uh, that sort of thing. And I used to fly a lot when I was younger. Like this is something that has just gotten worse as I've gotten older um, you know, but, uh, and even just like being in a crowded car, I don't even, I don't like that either. If I'm sitting in the front, I do better, but don't like being in a crowded car, really don't even like being in a car. Um, but you know, the crowded car situation, it really gives me anxiety, you know, before I even get in the car <laughs> thinking about it. Now I'd much rather do that though, than get in an elevator for whatever reason. It's so bizarre, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's that whole, just everybody being around me, being smothered and mm-hmm. people and not being able to get out of my situation. I mean, I, I even think this is horrible, but I even think of like 
how am I ever going to die? You know, I don't want to be put in a coffin. I'm like, they're going to have to have an open casket to put me in the ground. Seriously. Like, like it is, I don't even, I don't even know how I'm going to handle that. Like, I, I mean, I know I'm going to be dead. Right. But <laughs> like truly, how am I going to handle that situation? That just really messes up my brain when I think about it, but it's going to have to be an open casket. So mom, if you're listening, I want to open casket into the ground, you know, when it's my, my turn. So, <laughs> so does your, does do any of your kids have a claustrophobia of any kind? No, 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 no. I have a one daughter and um, no, she does not uh, have uh, claustrophobia, nothing like that. Um, you know, she, she has a little bit of anxiety and I think a lot of it comes from me uh, to be honest, because I'm always afraid something's going to happen to her. That's a whole, I think I told you before that I'm afraid of a lot of things. I constantly have to fight fear. You know, there's a lot, there's things that people are normally afraid of that I'm not, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things that I, you know, are afraid of and, you know, I worry about like losing her and that kind of thing. So, and so I think as a kid, you know, I was, you know, I, I think I put a lot of that on her and worried about like whether or not she's going to get hurt. Oh, watch out, you know, yeah. watch out for cars, you know, constantly on her about that kind of stuff. We lost her um, dad when she was six and it was a horrible, tragic situation. He was uh, murdered in Dallas and, you know, that was one of my big traumatic events that happened in life that led me down a path of speaking. Mm -hmm. um, so that did not know that. I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. It's been it's been a really long time. Yeah. And he's greatly missed. But yeah, that's very tragic. And there's a couple of other comics that have that have endured like close people close to them. Tra tragedies like that. Mm hmm. I know David Jessup comes to mind with his and his friend that he, that's why he does that creepy art is to kind of honor his best friend. Mm -hmm. And I have, uh, and actually Carl's in um, some of my jokes that I do. So he is part of my comedy as well. Um, so pretty much like a lot of my comedy comes from a major situation that's happened in life, basically. Well, and it's great that you have that outlet to do that rather than mm -hmm. being somebody that, maybe you know stares at a photograph you know and just constantly hurts and it doesn't find a way to move past it and humor like i said humor has been a great outlet for me as far as just all kinds of things that i've held in it's really it's really cathartic and it's cheaper than therapy it <laughs> is <laughs> you can do it for five minutes for free rather than a hundred dollars in an hour <laughs> So true. If I had to do therapy, like I'd have to do homework. I have to study for it. I have to get my hundred dollars worth <laughs> out of this. Like you have to you, studying for a test. Like I can't, I can't just come in there for 30 minutes worth of problems and pay for an hour. <laughs> then what? That's, that's great that you and your daughter probably made you and your daughter super close. Oh, we are. Yeah. We're very close. Yeah. Pandemic wise. It's probably not ideal. Like it's, I'm sure y'all still talk a lot and are in constant communication, but it's there's something missed about visiting. And I haven't visited yes. my mom. I don't know if it was la like right as the pandemic started last year, maybe like like last March, like around Mother's Day. But my my stepfather had a heart attack, and so during the pandemic, and then my mom got COVID on Thanksgiving. They all had it from a neighbor because mm -hmm. they're in a they live out in uh like out by Fredericksburg in the Hill Country in Kerrville. Oh, yes. I love that area. Oh, Kerrville. Yes. I believe that we have family from there. And so they live in some, like almost like a 
it's it's like a manufactured home, like neighborhood. So it's all these little, not trailers, but almost like the next step up. Like they're and they're all in this little community, and it's around this gorgeous pond and stuff. And so it's really cool. They've got a fully screened in porch. You know, they enjoy going outside and just you know staring at the patio like old folks do. And they don't watch TV. They just watch time pass by outside. But they enjoy it. <laughs> I haven't visited them. And I've, you know, I've thought about going to visit my mom's birthdays this week. And so, you know, part of me wishes I could go down there. But I also understand, you know, the risks and everything involved. And I just don't want to do anything to compromise that. But as soon as I can, I definitely want to go down there and visit and make fun of them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. Like I I do talk to my daughter pretty much every day. Um we have we you know, we do a lot of like Zoom and you know, that sort of thing, but uh it's nothing in comparison to an actual hug and seeing her and hanging with her. So, I can't wait. It's going to be so great. Yeah, there was an interesting like what I I live over Irving over here. Me and Desert David Jessup live like 5 minutes. But, oh, that's cool. But there's a park over in Las Colinas, like where the Alamo Draft House. There's like across the street. There's this long apartments in this canal, and you can walk around the canal. It's like five or six miles. And I was walking through there, and they have these apartment complexes that are just on the waterfront. And there's an old family that lives in the the downstairs apartment. They were sitting in their patio, and their family was like had pulled some chairs from like the restaurant area. And we're sitting or folding chairs and sitting there like talking, like seeing them. But like they were on they were on the sidewalk where I was walking. The old folks were just in their back patio. And I thought that was really cool and like a cool way to to visit them is just to kind of almost like go visit in the yard. But they were still far enough away that it was social distance. But it was really it was really kind of heartwarming and like, oh, that's a really cool go visit your parents by but at a distance so they can at least see you and you know have a real conversation that's pretty awesome now is this over by the you said by the the like the Las Colinas canal yeah oh yeah I'm familiar with that okay yeah that's a nice area I like that yeah and so they've built a bunch of apart they're still building apartments around that whole lake so it's the tra- okay. the trail is now six miles and they got a dart station and everything and so you can just walk this canal and it's it's a good exercise and it's a way to get out of the house. I started walking it in the summertime and I've, I'll kind of go out there when I can. Oh, that's cool. And just kind of walk it. It's real scenic, real cool. Like you just have all of this water and stuff. And there's people like sometimes probably right now, there's a lot of gondola. They have a gondola like service so that you can rent a gondola and they'll go to you around the canal. That is so cool. Yeah, I used to go over there and um, at one time in my life, I was a photographer. And so I used to go over there and do a lot of uh, photos in that area. It's really nice. Yeah, there's a little there's a little parking lot area like it looks Mm -hmm. on the on the inside. It looks like a Spanish villa. Like it's probably Mm -hmm. where you took photographs because it's very it looks like a, a Spanish villa and everything is. But you open the door and it's just a parking lot. It's a parking garage. So it's like it's really cool how they redid it. So it doesn't look like you're walking next to a parking lot. So on the canal side, it looks looks like you're in the streets of Italy or Spain. Right. That's exactly right. But you open a door and there's your covered parking right there. It's like, it's a great, it's a great repurpose. Pretty cool. 
That's awesome. I'll have to check out what it looks like now. It's been a while. <laughs> it's really big. And so it, it was, it's a fun little walk. And I've told David he might go out there because I've seen him on Facebook at Turtle Creek. And I'm like, you know, there's a canal, you know, right there by Alamo Draft House. You can just park in the theater, walk across the street and, you know, just traipse around there. It's good. It's a good walk. It gets you outside. It gets you a little bit of mind off of I'm stuck at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do you work from home now? Yeah. So I was in a, I'm in a career transition. I am a realtor now and I wanted to go into uh, real estate like back in 2012, but I ended up getting uh, at the same time, whenever I was trying to make that happen, Capital One called me. So I ended up going into mortgage for six years and then they closed down home loans. And, um, and then I decided after that, I was going to go ahead and just do my I'm calling it my retirement job. So this is a job that I'm going to have forever until I die, basically. So yeah, it's something that I've been wanting to get into for a long time. I completely enjoy everything about real estate and helping people and, you know, the detail of it all. It's very complicated transactions, that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, so I've spent the pandemic uh, trying to finish up some classes that I needed to take. And then, you know, it, there was a, a lot of the... Um, the, te the testing centers were shut down uh, during the pandemic. And so it took me a while to be able to go in and, and get everything finalized. But anyway, I'm a, I'm a realtor now. And a lot of people, they when they go into real estate or when they look at somebody that does a realtor, they're like, oh, all you have to do is get a license. No, it's a, it, you are literally in business for yourself. And it is a full-on business that you have to generate your own you know, leads and do your own marketing and advertising and, and all of that. And, um, but I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love the people and, you know, I'm very excited for this new career that I'm in. And uh, anyway, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. So I am technically, yes, working from home. And the, the brokerage that I'm with is also a remote brokerage and you can basically do everything online. So, and they're on the cutting edge of technology. So it's pretty cool. That's got to be really cool. I mean, it's got to really changes the way houses are being shown because it's, I can't imagine how you, you to do that virtually because sometimes you just, it's hard to get a, a gauge of the room of being in a room just by the camera because it, it, right. it can look one way, but then you go and like, oh, this is a lot more narrow than I thought it would be. Oh, that is true. Now the, you know, uh, mass are required whenever you go in and show homes. Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, a lot of realtors are not doing as many open houses. Um, things have slowed down in some areas, but in, you know, many ways, you know, it's sped up. Um, the market itself in general is pretty good. The It, it is definitely a seller's market um, right now, and there's not enough homes. So there's more buyers than there are sellers. And the homes are going for at listing price or above. There are homes in Austin. I mean, Austin market is even worse than Dallas, but uh, the Austin market is like, there's homes out there that are selling for over a hundred thousand over listing price. That's crazy. So anyway, um, yeah, I just really look forward. I mean, there's no telling that, you know, the market right now, it's very unpredictable about what's going to be happening coming up. But I know people that got into the market back in, got into real estate back in 2008, 2007, uh, that time frame when everything went uh, down and they thrived out of it. So, and I'm just right now, what I'm doing is focusing on 
learning as much as I can, taking as many training classes as I can, and I'm getting certified in some areas as well. Well, with your mortgage experiences also, like that's also a great, you can yes. kind of tell them this is what the steps are going to be. This is what they're going to look for. And so you can kind of almost prep your client to make sure, hey, if you're, if you've got anything you need to clear up, this is what they're going to look at. So if you have any kind of like long-term debt or something that you need to, you can give them, I guess, financial, like financially ready. Like it's good to have the money, but this is what they're going to look at as far as to get you the the interest. Yes, exactly. And there's a lot of programs that can help people that don't think that they can qualify for a home. That's what I want to do is I want to, you know, help people that have a desire or dream to be in a home. And I want to be their person that can help them get there, whatever that means, whether that's okay, we need to look at cleaning up your credit, or let's try to find a program that's going to work for you, you know, that sort of thing. Like, I, uh, I don't want to be, that's one of the reasons why I got into real estate is because when I was in my twenties and I was looking at homes, there was a lot of realtors. They were looking for the quick deal. They were looking to, you know, if you weren't somebody that was, you know, fit this certain profile, they would dismiss you and they didn't spend time with you. And I'm here because I want to help people, um, that have that desire. And, you know, cause a lot of people don't realize they can get into a home. They can get out of renting and they can do it but they just don't know the path to go down and I want to help them get there. Yeah. It may, and that may be where you lead. Like maybe you don't become a real estate agent. You become like the realist. You could almost do speaking like to, to get, you know, to have a speaking class of what do you, if you want to get into a home, here are the steps, you know, that if you're interested in buying a home, here's what you need to do. And then that's almost, you could almost then take your real estate and then crowd build an audience for it because you're prepping them. And so then you have that, that level of trust because you're honestly saying this is what if you want to buy a home this is what you'll need to have in the bank this is what you'll need to show in your credit report you know let's mm -hmm. get you there and then now you've got your built-in you know clients that you know are looking to buy homes exactly that's that's exactly right and i'm completely open to doing any of that uh, my my background is in training so i am you know i can do any of that. Um, for now, I just want to become an expert in it. Uh, you know, learn as much as I can and build from there and then just see what happens. So definitely open to that. Well, that's great. I'm I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm, I'm glad you're able to take the time and opportunity to do to be able to focus on that without feeling like there's other things that you need to do. And that's a great, that's all I can say is that's, that's awesome. That's an awesome repurpose of, again, something possibly negative that could happen right and you're taking it and running with it that's you're you're amazing at just i guess repurposing that oh thank you uh, Brittany. i thank you for doing this i appreciate your time where can people find you on social media or in the real estate area if you're if you're already real estate licensed where would they come find you yeah so they can uh for comedy um you can find me at great Brittany. Um, and that's spelled the word great, G-R-E-A-T. And then Brittany is spelled different. It's like Great Britain and then add a Y. Okay, so it's G-R-E-A-T-B-R-I-T-A-I-N-Y. So that's how you spell my name, Great Britain, add a Y. So it's at Great Britney. And then for real estate, um, I'm under at Brittany Goss Real Estate on Instagram and Facebook. So, but I'm also for comedy, I'm on uh, Twitter, 
Instagram, and Facebook. And I believe my Facebook is at Brittany Goss Comedy. Okay. Well, I thank you again for doing this, Brittany. Uh, wish you the best. And we'll talk again soon. We'll get another one of your fun fears. And we'll talk yes. about it. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. I totally love it. Thank you. So that was Brittany. What an awesome story to take all of those challenges in life and to repurpose them into public speaking, comedy, and pursuing what she wants to do. I'm just in awe because so many people can't do that. And it's heartbreaking to go through some of those things that she went through, like the loss of a loved one, cancer treatment, severe weather. To be able to do that and to only come out of it with the fear of tight places is, is it's amazing to me. She's an amazing comic. Like I said, when she started out, she started doing, you know, straight into cancer because that's her passion is to talk about it. And it's such an, an amazing, amazing amount of strength to be able to open up about that stuff and to, and to be kind of that beacon to other women that have gone through similar situations. Check out Brittany on Instagram at great, B-R-I-T-A-N-Y. Um, you can also check her out for real estate if you need to buy a house in the housing market right now. It is Mother's Day. I have yet to call my mother. I will call her here shortly. Just want to get this wrapped up and breakfast done. Also, it's amazing how traumatic something from your youth, like like that fear is just ingrained in your memory from from that from your young age that you were in that severe situation, the feeling of anxiety just piled on and the feeling that you can't breathe. It's got to be terrifying and and for your fear to kind of like ingrain that in your memory so that the next time you're in a tight spot, your fear all of a sudden reverts all the way back to childhood. Like you can't remember, you can remember some random things, but it's like your body remembers trauma of that level almost, you know, it's uncanny how far back it can go. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, follow and share and rate us and do all those things that you can do to make this podcast more visible. I just do this for fun. I'm not looking for a profit yet anyways. I, I have income coming in, so I don't like to try and make income from everything. This is just kind of a passion project of mine. Um, thanks again for everyone that has listened. We have, list, we have, you know, almost a thousand listens at this point, which is more than I thought would ever happen. I did this and I work at it, and it's not maybe the greatest edited podcast. I'm getting better at it. Like I've learned how to kind of take out the Zoom echo a little bit, and so I'm working on that. I do have a live podcast coming up at Panther Island here in two weeks. It'll 
be fun. I'm getting the equipment today to cable into the board. Like it'll just be a splitter basically that one side splits into my recorder, the other side splits into the soundboard so that we have audio and we can record. So that should be exciting. I've never done a live podcast and a little nervous, but we'll figure it out. I've got some shows coming up. I'll be at the Addison Improv on the 22nd, and I'll be at Hyenas in Fort Worth on the 20th. So check me out that Thursday if you'd like. Um, Sure to be fantastic shows. I'll be with my good friend Justin Foster in Addison. He's coming home for a weekend or two, so that'll always be fun to catch up with him. I'm a little erratic right now. I haven't been sleeping and eating and taking care of myself as I should. And so I can t- I can feel it mentally, like I'm just kind of in a daze and I'm looking at my kitchen with open cabinets and things scattered around, kind of started but not finished. So trying to get back into the groove as Mondays comes around. I've got an interview with a guest here on Tuesday and then... I'll have a new episode out, and then I'll have a super long episode probably in June. I interviewed an author and a musician, and she was an amazing conversation. I thought my phone was going to die because we talked for over two and a half hours. Uh, I'm working on getting the sound part down. Now I'm going to start editing it as well as my next week's guest. And so hopefully... I'll get that done by June. Thanks again for listening, guys. Um, My week is just me just doing some open mics and, you know, calling my mom. Hopefully you did too, if she's still around. If not, know that your mom probably loves you. And you're an amazing person because of that. Thanks for listening to the Some of All Fears podcast. Have a great week. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O like water. You can also follow him on Facebook Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S as well as his website, GunnarOlson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at SomeFearFans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S, at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration also if you'd like to be a guest email me at somefearfans at gmail.com we can try to iron out some details and get that settled in you know give us some feedback if on apple google spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts leave a review it makes the show bigger and it's not going anywhere i'm going to record as many shows as i possibly can if you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there and you can 
check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening.